This week's topic is denying ourselves. Occasionally, an attitude of suspicion surrounds the practice of penance. An, in, an, an incomplete understanding of penance causes us to miss the whole point of the season, which is to bring about a wholehearted return to God. Penance is the expression by the exterior or interior acts of sorrow for our sins and the desire to amend our lives. Lent penances aim at putting something old to death, the attachment to earthly ways in favor of which is eternal. This week, our speaker is Matt Masker. Matt was born and raised in Kearney, Nebraska, where he graduated from Kearney Catholic High School in 2018. Matt is in the middle of two brothers. John, who is 27, lives in Omaha, and Jacob currently attends UNL and is 20. Matt walked on at Nebraska and played quarterback for the Huskers for five years. Matt got very involved with Focus in college, where he fell in love with Jesus and his Catholic faith. During college, he began leading Bible studies on the football team and became a full-time missionary with Focus upon graduating college. He is serving his second year with Focus and plans to go to the seminary to study for the Diocese of Grand Island in the fall. In his free time, Matt loves hunting, fishing, playing sports, lifting weights, and hanging out with friends. Let's welcome Matt. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his life? I think um, a lot of the time as Catholics, we like to talk a lot about suffering, right? Don't we? We like to talk about the cross. But why is that? What's the purpose of the cross? What's the purpose of suffering? Because I can assure you right now, we weren't simply created just to suffer in this life. Jesus never desires for us to suffer alone. He's not that kind of God. In all things, he writes straight with the crooked lines we write with our lives. In all things, he's fighting for our good, working always for the good. And when Jesus gives us the gift of suffering and the invitation to deny ourselves, it is always an invitation which leads us deeper into his merciful heart. It's always about being led deeper into intimacy with him. But not only that, he desires to create us into something new. He desires to uh, turn us into himself, make us something beautiful. But we must never, ever look at the cross without Jesus. We are too weak. I'm too cowardly to look at the cross without Jesus. It's much too challenging to suffer without Jesus. The cross is completely meaningless without Jesus. If we're just, tr- just simply trying to prove how tough we are, like, Jesus, look what I can do for you. That is not the point. Jesus invites us to the abundant life, not the miserable life. And it's through denying ourselves where we can find ourselves. And as Pope St. John Paul II always said, Man cannot fully find himself except making a sincere gift of himself. But what does that actually mean? In my life, in my journey, and in my story, it was always through the cross and through suffering where I learned to love Jesus, and more importantly, where I learned how to be loved, how to receive Jesus' love. In the midst of my own sin and the ugliness of my selfishness and my pride, my friends, he is so patient with you, he's so meek. 
and is willing to do anything to save you. He's already counted the cost. He's already paid the price. He's not afraid of your sin. And he has already suffered and died for you. Thankfully, as always, Jesus has been so gentle and generous with me throughout my life and through my faith journey. Uh, and I made, I've made so many mistakes. I've been so selfish. Most of my life, I've gone through my life thinking about me, like what is best for me? How can I be seen by people? How can I, what's in it for me, right? I ask these questions all the time. And then isn't that what the world tells us? Isn't that what the world encourages you to do? Seek as much pleasure as possible. You only live once, right? So you better just live it up now. Just do it. Do whatever you want. Also, like, avoid all suffering. Remain as comfortable as possible. And avoid all things that require any commitment. If it gets hard, just quit. End it. Just, just, just done. Just pull it. You're done. But let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. Jesus doesn't offer us a comfy couch where we can just watch Netflix all day. He wants more for you. He offers more to us. The question that we have to ask is, am I willing to give him everything? Am I willing to follow him even if it actually costs me something? And in high school, you guys, when I, when I was growing up, honestly, I didn't have to um, really give Jesus much. My whole life, I kind of had it perfectly mapped out. You know, I mapped out my future with a lot of good things. I, um, you know, I think the main reason why we, we kind of make such plans for our lives and we map out a, a perfect plan is, you know, we, we want to be happy. We desire to remain in control of our lives. We don't trust that if we follow the will of God, we can actually be happy. You know, I wanted to be a great quarterback. I wanted to marry a beautiful woman. I want to get a good job. I wanted to make a lot of money. I want to have a lot of kids. All these things are really good. And these are things that I decided for myself from a very young age. This is what my life was going to look like. And growing up, I was a really good kid. I, I did all the right things. I worked hard in school. I worked hard in sports. I didn't do drugs or alcohol. I, I, you know, I, I went to mass every Sunday. You know, and I was fine. Like everything kind of worked out for me. I was always the best athlete. I was popular. I always, you know, dated the prettiest girls in the school. Everything was perfect for me. Everything was was great. I was fine. And growing up, being an athlete was really my identity. And I like to really take pride in that. I enjoyed being known as the best athlete or the quarterback. I gave, uh, you know, it gave me the affirmation that I was seeking. And I wanted others to admire me for my athletic ability. I wanted it to be seen by others. I wanted to be seen by men. And I wanted to be seen as good enough. And sports really gave me the opportunity to hide behind that. I was seen as good enough. I was seen as cool. I was admired by others. I had a lot of success in high school football, and it quickly became a reality that I could, I could play college football at a very high level, at the level that I wanted to play at. And ever since I was a little boy, my dream was to play football for Nebraska. I wanted to play quarterback at Nebraska. And uh, ever since, um, I, I, as I approached the end of my high school career, there was kind of some excitement growing in the community um, that I was getting near a record, a high school football record that was... Um, was standing for over 25 years. 
And it was held by a quarterback from, from Wood River High School. You may or may not have heard of him. Uh, his name was Scott Frost. And at the time, during my senior year, uh, Coach Frost was still coaching um, at Central Florida. Uh, he had not yet been offered the head coaching job at Nebraska, and um, he went on to coach the Central Florida Knights to an undefeated season. They won the Peach Bowl that year. Um, and as my high school football career concluded, um, I still didn't have any kind of offer to play football at Nebraska. But I remember, like it was yesterday, I was sitting in the Kearney Catholic gym. I was watching a, a JV basketball game, and I, I got a text message from this random number. And I looked down at my phone, and it says, Hey, Matt, this is Coach Frost. How are you? Um, I'd like you to come to Lincoln. I want to talk to you. And I remember looking at this message, and I, I leaned over to my buddy, and I said, Do you think this is real? Do you think I'm, I'm being punked right now? You know, and, and Coach Frost ended up getting the head, obviously the head coaching job at Nebraska. And, um, you know, you guys, I can't really explain. Like, the whole state was, like, freaking out. It was like, um, we got the, our, the native son back, the, the last guy who, who led Nebraska to a national championship under legendary coach Tom Osborne in 1997. Like, the, the prince of Nebraska was back, right? And everything was going to be perfect. And I just broke his records. I'm like, yes, like, this is destiny. This is me. It's, I'm the next one. I'm the next one. I'm going to be the next great one. My life is awesome. It's going to be great. And when I, I got that opportunity to play um, at Nebraska, I, it was really a, a no-brainer. Um, you know, my, um, well, first off, spoiler alert, um, it didn't really work out for Coach Frost or I at Nebraska. So, um, joke's on me. But when I got to Nebraska, I showed up really confident. You know, I, I was excited about this new journey that I was confident that Jesus had set me on. As a true freshman walk-on, I was just excited to be on the fall camp roster, right? Only a certain amount of, of players get, get to go to fall camp, and you know, I wasn't really expected to go, and I, and I got to go. And, the, and the, recru- the recruiting process for Nebraska happened so quickly because the coaching staff was changing, and so I never actually had the opportunity to meet the, the coach that I would be um, really working with every day, my quarterback coach. And honestly, um, I think Jesus really protected me from that because if I would have met this man um, and I would have known the way that I would have been treated, um, there's no way that I would have gone to Nebraska. I mean, I, I can't really explain to you the way I was treated for the first two years during my time. Um, you know, I've never once thought of quitting anything in my entire life. But the second day of fall camp, I, I convinced myself that I'd made the worst decision of my life. I had rejected several scholarships, several starting quarterback jobs at other schools. You know, I, I don't come from a wealthy family, and, we, and, and I decided that I wanted to walk out in Nebraska. I didn't have a scholarship, and we were paying for my school. And I became the lowest and most disrespected and worst treated player um, by, my, by this coach. And daily it seemed like he was honestly trying to get me to quit. Um, it's hard to explain <clears throat> the level of humiliation and, and suffering I experienced on a day-to-day basis. It, seemed, it, it was, seemed personal. And it wasn't any kind of physical suffering. It was a, a mental and emotional suffering that I was experiencing. It was, it was a verbal daily abuse. And um, every day I'd walk into the practice facility and I was just filled with anxiety, filled with fear asking the question, what is going to happen to me today? How am I going to be embarrassed? 
And my master plan of becoming the, great, the next great Nebraska quarterback was slowly just crumbling right in front of me. I didn't even want to play football anymore. And I was just full of fear every day I'd walk into the practice facility. And by the grace of God, I made it through fall camp, made it on the travel, and I actually made it on the travel roster, which I don't know how, but that roster even is smaller than the, than the fall camp roster, and, and I got to travel with the team uh, my freshman year. And, and it was one October afternoon, we were flying to Chicago to play Northwestern, and uh, we landed in Chicago, um, and as we landed, immediately a staff member approached me and said, Matt, uh, we're actually going to have to send you home. And I said, what? What do you mean you have to send me home? Did I do something wrong? And um, he went on to explain to me that um, one of my brother quarterbacks, um, who was ineligible at the time because he had transferred to Nebraska, so the, the consequence was to sit out a year. But he had become eligible. The NCAA had granted him his eligibility halfway through the season. And um, they, said they, they said they had to send somebody home in order to fly him to Chicago. And so they chose me. They said, Matt, you have to go home. And so I remember I, they, they immediately drove me to the airport right as we landed in Chicago. I got in the Suburban, and it was a pretty quiet, tense, confusing ride to the airport. And, you know, guys, I'm from Kearney. Like, I'd never been in an airport before. Like, never had flown by myself. I'd, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I got dropped off at the biggest airport in the world. And uh, somehow I had to navigate through uh, this airport. And, and, I'm, and meanwhile, I'm wearing, like, my, my bright red Husker jumpsuit, sticking out like a sore thumb. And then I remember getting onto the plane, and everybody kind of just, as I'm walking back to the, the last seat in the back aisle, everyone's staring at me like I'm like a caged zoo animal. Like, what in the world is this guy doing? Like, don't they play tomorrow in Chicago? Why is he flying back to Lincoln? And I think the most challenging part about all of that was, you know, that, that, that news didn't even come from a coach. It was just like, yeah, like, let's just send Matt home. Uh, we don't really care. He's not really wanted. Let's bring the other guy here. Then it kind of just turned into a joke. It's like, oh my gosh, like my, my life is kind of a joke. Never in my life have I ever felt so abandoned, unchosen, forgotten, lonely. I was just confused and upset, and I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't even seem to be wanted by my coaches. And it's not like I was replaced by a quarterback that was going to be playing in the game the next day. It was honestly just replacing who was going to be standing on the sidelines the next day. And I started asking those questions in my life of who am I? Like, What is the purpose of my life? This, this cannot be it. This cannot be the sole purpose of my life. Where am I receiving my self-worth from? Is it from football? Because if it is, I'm a loser. <laughs> And when I landed back in Lincoln, um, my friends and family obviously were expecting me to be in Chicago. And so nobody could come pick me up from the airport. And so uh, the security guard from the stadium actually had to come pick me up. And he was the only one there for me that night. My first semester in college was probably the hardest and darkest time of my life. I had drifted away from my faith and, you know, I was still going to Mass on Sunday, you guys. But I, I didn't really want to make my Catholic faith the center of my life. I mean, the cool guys weren't really doing it. I wanted to be a cool football guy. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be liked by everybody. And I was grasping onto the things I wanted, grasping onto the things I thought 
were going to satisfy my heart, were going to make me happy. I was was just living an average life full of sin, doing the things I wanted. And honestly, I've never been so lonely in my life. I didn't have any real friends. I had people who wanted to hang out with me because I was a football guy. But did they actually care? As my football career was, was coming to an end and graduation was approaching, the big questions began. And I had to make some really hard decisions. And um, I was dating this incredible girl at the time. And we'd actually been dating since high school. And we, once we began to really discern engagement, um, you know, there's no question about if I loved her. There was no question that I, that I wanted to marry her. These were the things that I wanted. And they were good desires. It was just a matter of time of when Jesus wanted us to get engaged. You know, that's what I had decided on. I said, Jesus, you just let me know when. And yet the more and more I spent time in silent prayer, the more I asked Jesus and just prayed with Scripture and went to Mass, it was just silence from him. I became restless and about this decision that I had to make. And I thought I was going crazy. I didn't understand why I was experiencing, I was not experiencing peace in this decision. And during our, our very challenging discernment in this time in my life where I was just really wrestling with God, I had an incredible opportunity to go to Mexico City and go on a mission trip. And I've been back three times ever since. But it was there where my heart was awakened to so many beautiful things that my heart had never experienced. I felt like I'd met Jesus face-to-face in the poor. We were working with homeless people who lived in a trash dump. I met Mary, our mother, for the first time in the most radical way I, can, I can't explain to you the peace and the joy and the love that I felt from Mary in this place where I was desperate, scared, and not knowing what Jesus wanted me to do. I, I fell in love with Mary. And at the, I just saw her beauty, her goodness, her purity. And I, I knelt at the feet of Our Lady Guadalupe. And in desperation, I cried out. I said, Mom, Take my vocation. Just show me what you want me to do. And at, at the knees, I dropped down to my knees, and at, at the feet of Our Lady Guadalupe, I surrendered my vocation to her. Because, guys, Mary's role, her job, is she just always leads us to Jesus. She wants nothing more than just for us to be united to her son. And that's what she has done in such a radical way in my life. And through months and months of wrestling with Jesus in the chapel, and, and me thinking that I'm going crazy when I'm just actually just hearing the voice of God, Jesus and Mary slowly but surely made it very clear to me why I had become so restless. I was grasping on to so many things in my life that I wanted to my plans. And I needed to let go. And they so gently showed me all the areas of my heart that I was still grasping onto and there was still more freedom that Jesus desired for me. He was encouraging me to trust him and just let go a little more. He was inviting me to be a priest. And the strangest thing about this invitation, uh, it did not come with it did not come in fear. In fact, it came with immense joy, clarity and laughter. And I, I didn't understand how I could be so excited about this invitation knowing what it was going to cost me. For the first time, I had to make a decision 
okay, Jesus, this actually is going to cost me everything. And the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my whole life, and hopefully will ever have to do, is break up with my girlfriend of seven years that I loved very much. The woman who I was planning to marry. The woman who knew my heart better than anyone. The woman who loved me and supported me so well. More than anything, I was terrified of what this meant for the woman that I loved and the suffering that it would bring her. And there was no suffering greater than I could imagine than breaking the heart that I held in my hands. The heart that I protected and reverenced. The heart that loved me so well. The heart that was entrusted to me to take care of. could not imagine my life without her. But the Father was inviting me to give her back. Inviting me to trust Him more than I ever have before in my life. Let me tell you, I I had nothing more beautiful or anything that I loved more that I could give him. She was my best friend, and we truly did everything together. We had our conversions together, and we supported each other through everything, through all the ups and downs. I wanted to remain with her. I wanted to stay where it was comfortable, I, want, I did not want to watch her suffer. I did not. I did not want to suffer. And I knew my heart would be ripped out of my chest. As Jesus gave me the courage to finally bring this up to her, discuss her, all the things that happened in my heart in prayer, and how clear Jesus has made this to me, I, I, I told her what had happened. And uh, she responded with, If you think you were called to be a priest, you can go. And just as Mary approached Jesus at the wedding at Cana and said to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus replies with, woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then Mary simply turns to the wedding servants and says, do whatever he tells you. But what is really going on here? Mary is inviting Jesus to perform his first public miracle. Jesus and Mary have been living in peace and their sinless home in Nazareth for 30 years. They have been living in a, in, in a quiet, a hidden life, in complete harmony with one another, in joy and happiness. I'm sure Jesus preferred to stay with Mary instead of hang out with 12 knuckleheads for three years. I'm sure it would have been a little bit more fun if he could have stayed with Mary before entering into his passion. I'm sure he did not want to watch his mother, the woman that he loved as he was being nailed to a cross. I'm sure he did not probably, I'm sure that wasn't his first preference. But when Mary approaches Jesus with this request, he is really responding with, are you sure, Mom? You really want me to go through with this? Because once I perform this miracle... They will know that I am God. And the clock on my life begins ticking. My road to Calvary begins today. Are you sure you want that, Mom? And Mary, out of complete trust and abandonment to the Father, says, Yes, my son, 
it is time. And she gently encourages him despite the heartache and the martyrdom of the heart that she and Jesus will both experience. They say yes. They say yes. And I promise you, um, even in the midst, you guys, of my heartache and the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, you will never, ever, ever regret giving something to Jesus. I've had more joy than I ever have had in my entire life. I've had more intimacy with Jesus more than I ever have in my life. I, I feel so rich. And, and intimacy with Christ is truly the richest you will ever be in this life. And you guys, please just don't be tricked by the serpent. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is not trying to trick you. He wants you to be happy. And at the end of our lives, when we get to see Jesus face to face, will we be able to hear Jesus say, you were the one who remained with me in my trials. As my Father appointed a kingdom for me, so do I appoint for you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my son. And I just want to close with this quote. The only truly happy people are those who have chosen Jesus and his cross on earth. They truly are the thieves of happiness because they are already happy a hundredfold here on earth. And we cannot even imagine what this will be for all eternity. To think of heaven is not egoism. It is to plunge ourselves with delight into the infinite justice and love of God. If we could regret anything in heaven, it would be to have suffered insufficiently here on earth. The fruitful suffering, the glorious suffering, the cross of Jesus, how rich this truly makes us, how much joy we receive when we deny ourselves and give our lives to Jesus. My brothers and sisters, do not be afraid, please. He will never, ever abandon you. He is always pursuing you in your heart. He is patient. He is a gentleman. He will never force his way. There is so much joy on the other side of that cross. Trust him. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. And as St. Therese of Lisieux said, it is not the great things that God does in a soul and which makes it great. It is the things that God asks of a soul and which makes it great. He trusts you. He loves you. He is so proud of you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.